Imagine yourself in the early 1960s visiting Hawaii for the first time. Walking over the beach, you meet a funky guy who shows you an oddly shaped wooden board and tells you to go out and ride the waves. You've heard stories about that thing called surfing before. This might be fun. Five minutes later, a big wave throws you to the shore. You try again, but after you've been thrown back on the beach for a third time, you look at your skin rashes and begin to wonder what this is all about. So starts chapter one, Cannabis, Surfing, and How to Ride a High in Sebastian Marincolo's Elevated, Cannabis is a Tool for Mind Enhancement. Hello, how are you? Welcome to a super special bonus episode of the Laritas Podcast. I am your host, Mike Gathers. Laritas Press has just released a very unique book, Elevated, Cannabis is a Tool for Mind Enhancement by Sebastian Marincolo, with a foreword by Robert Anton Wilson's super enthusiast, Michael Johnson. In this episode, I discuss his new book and more with Sebastian. Sebastian Marincolo, welcome to the Laritas Podcast. Hello there. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So you have a uh, new book coming out from Hilaritas, Elevated, which we'll dig into in a minute here, but you have a few books already in publication. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, uh, most of them are on the subject of the cannabis high and the enhancements coming with it. My first book was High Insights on Marijuana, uh, which... Uh, so to say, it's like more of a doctoral thesis. I tried to make it a, a popular scientific uh, thing and that came out in 2010. And uh, after that, I because I really had problems pu publishing it, it was in English. Um, and um, so I self-published that. And I, I thought a lot about how could I reach a wider public with that subject. So I public I published um, the German book, High um, Das Positive Potential von Marijuana, The Positive Potential of Marijuana uh, in 2013. And I actually found a big publisher in Germany and made a big media splash with that. Um, maybe we, I will tell you a little bit more about that later. And um, uh, then I published an essay collection, What Hashes Did to Walter Benjamin, because I wrote an expert blog for uh, Sensi Seeds Amsterdam, the biggest seed bank, in the, cannabis seed bank in the world. And I expanded those essays for uh, that book that came out in 2015. And then I published uh, The Art of the High recently, uh, The Art of the High, Your Guide to Using Cannabis for an Outstanding Life. Uh, which is a short minimalist introduction to uh, how to use a very practical guide, how to use cannabis for mind enhancements based on my previous research. Um, I published that in English and in German. And um, also there's an audiobook, a German audiobook on it. And now Elevated, uh, which is based on my German book uh, that came out in 2013, but it has more, uh, some more chapters and essays in it. Um, and it is really updated because in the last 10 years, um, there was a lot of progress in research and uh, 
so I updated uh, that book. I um, it's it's a more scientific book. It has more than two hundred references in it. Uh, the German book that came out uh, with the imagery, with the photos, was a bit more uh, essays that were supposed to be less scientific and more directed to the to the public. So this now is, I think, uh, uh, also an easy easier to read book for the wider public. So it's not not. Uh, not just scientific, but it's, it has a lot more substance. It does have a uh, strong scientific framework. And, and if I understand correctly, you have a background in philosophy, academic background in philosophy. Is that correct? Yeah, I studied uh, philosophy and uh, uh, linguistics uh, in Tübingen, Germany, which is one of the oldest uh, traditional universities in Germany and has a very strong uh, philosophy department. And, um, and then I went to do research and went as an exchange student already to uh, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And uh, in uh, 93, went back in 98, 97, 98 to uh, uh, do research for my dissertation thesis. And my, my interest was always in the philosophy of mind and uh, questions about human consciousness, artificial intelligence, um, basically questions like uh, uh, can a computer generate consciousness or have consciousness? Uh, what kinds of animals do we believe have consciousness and why? Um, uh, what is the biological basis of consciousness? And so I was interested in those subjects when I was already like a teenager. Um, and I found out that there's a discipline <clears throat> called philosophy, and I, I specialized in that field. And then later, of course, uh, I, I also studied uh, or looked into the cognitive sciences and neurosciences, that whole field, which comes with uh, the, this field of the philosophy of mind. And um, so, so that took me to the to researching the cannabis high, because. Um, uh, the cannabis high uh, gives you, I called it the Alice in Wonderland route to uh, researching human consciousness because I was not only, I was never really only interested in the high as an altered state of consciousness, but I was interested in human consciousness itself and it, and, and finding a way to um, to really answer questions about it. So, so that's you, my yeah. Yeah, so you have this strong, uh, rigorous background in philosophy and science, and it really shows up in your writing. Um, and there's something about the high that is uh, not written about. Would you, uh, like we talk about industrial uses for hemp and the medicinal uses of cannabis and CBD, but there's not much out there on the high. There is a lot out there on the high, but it's spread, uh, spread out, and it's uh, it's really you have to to look uh, in history also. And uh, there were a lot of interesting people who really wanted to find out more about the high. There, Charles Baudelaire. There was, for instance, the the um, Club des Assassins, the Hashish Club in um, Paris. Um, basically, most of the intellectual elite uh, in the mid 19th century uh, was was in there. Um, Baudelaire, Alexandre Dumas Père, uh, who wrote the Three Musketeers, and many others, <clears throat> and they experimented with hashish 
to uh, find out about uh, the inspirational uses and the effects on their creativity. Uh, later, uh, Walter Benjamin in the 1920s um, started to experiment with hashish because he had translated Baudelaire. Um, and uh, he wanted to, he wrote a letter to a friend um, and said to Ernst Schoen, and he said, uh, okay, this is, uh, this is a really interesting attempt on uh, the research of cannabis, but it's not very scientific. And uh, he wanted to know more about this. And he wanted to, he would look for what he called a profane, profane Einsicht, profane insight, he called it. Like he wanted to have philosophical insights um, uh, with, uh, with a cannabis high. And um, I argued in my book, What Hashish Did to Walter Benjamin in my essay collection, that he actually did have uh, great insights. And so, so this was, a, uh, Walter Benjamin was also somebody who uh, published a book then, which is called On Hashish, uh, which is a great place um, to look for. And later in the 60s, there was um, Lester Greenspoon and Carl Sagan. It's a whole big story on how they um, came across what Lester would then call the enhancement uses. Lester and I uh, started to work together on a book. He asked me um, in 2008, I, uh, I contacted him. And uh, so I, I, my work um, benefited a lot from his expertise and him mentoring me also. So there is a lot of uh, uh, there is writing and you, you find rich resources. I mean, these are only some on the cannabis high, but I think from a modern perspective, we're still missing um, a, a really concerted effort to look at what the high does, uh, what it is, what the cognitive effects are, because I argue there is a whole spectrum or a whole bouquet of cognitive effects. And uh, I think it's very often underrated both by cannabis users um, as well as by um, scientists, what the potential of the cannabis high is and what we can uh, learn from it as scientists, but also how we can personally benefit from it. Do you have a sense of why that seems neglected? Yeah, of course. I mean, we have a long history of prohibition and um, so, uh, and if you look at the mechanics of the prohibition, um, research was basically not really allowed in the States and in other places. And so uh, there's no, there was no money. I mean, when I tried to research the cannabis high, uh, or when I tried to start <clears throat> acquiring, getting money for it, or stipends or any institution interested in my work, I, I came from, um, I had a doctoral thesis and I, you know, my, my uh, professors uh, recommended me, but there, were, there was just no place uh, on earth that would really uh, sponsor uh, such, a, such an effort to look at the positive potential of the cannabis high. And, um, <clears throat> and so for a long time, scientific institutions were only interested to find out about the risks. And of course, there are risks as there are with any uh, psychoactive substance. Um, and, and so it was hard uh, to come from a scientific angle and to, you know, survive as doing work on 
the uh, cannabis high or any altered state of mind. So after, <clears throat> I think uh, there was significant research in the, in the end 60s and, and then uh, with this whole psychedelic thing being uh, shut down by Nixon and others, um, as you can read in Michael Pollan's book, of course, which is a great um, chronic, a, a great book on, you know, really getting insights into how that whole thing um, went down, how the research on psychedelics and other substances <clears throat> was prohibited then, and uh, but also on the renaissance of, of it all. So that is, I mean, there, there's a long story, of course, on the prohibition, but but that's basically one of the big reasons why uh, why you don't see more coming from the scientific community community on that uh, on that altered state of consciousness. And even among casual users, it seems, uh, at least from my experience, to not be. Well, what I would say is, reading your book opened my my mind into all this different ways to think about it. It gave me a conceptual framework in which to think about the the cannabis high, and therefore how to better use it um and so i guess i really appreciate that And there's a part of me that's like how did i miss all this you know i hadn't thought about it in this way and it's so obvious in a way it, it, and at the same time it's just like uh duh but this is fantastic <laughs> thanks that that's uh lovely feedback and i hear that often and Coming from uh, philosophy, I'd say that we usually um, believe that introspection, so our own access to our mind, is um, is direct. So I know what I'm thinking, I know what I'm feeling, and if the high brings all these qualities, what you know, I should feel this, or I should be able to conceptualize this, um, and uh, well. If you look at the modern uh, sciences, uh, cognitive sciences, and what they have to say about introspection, we find that introspection is <clears throat> a lot more complicated than that. And it's dependent. It's not a direct, you don't turn your eyes and look inside your skull and then you read off everything that's happening there. It's uh, it, your introspection is based based on your skills also to on your self-knowledge and on your ability to conceptualize um, and to build a language for uh, psychological states and um, moods and uh, feelings. Uh, and I compare that often to um, to wine connoisseurs who, mm. um, you know, if I would, if you, if you would give a really great wine Bordeaux eighty six something to somebody who doesn't really know much about, doesn't really have the language, um, and you'd later give him a statement, you'd ask him how was the wine, he'd be like, yeah, it was I don't know, great, <laughs> it was lovely, it was a bit sweet, and it had some earthy um undertones in in the taste etc but then if you hear uh some wine connoisseurs talking about their wines and you, you they reflect the language they know about how the wine has been stored processed how they know about the difference of grapes they know about 
um, how to describe different flavors and undertones, etc. And suddenly you have a language and a framework in which you can frame your experience and therefore you can introspect it better. You can actually really be like, oh, oh, you know, this wine is very close to what I had, what I what I felt was in this wine, but it's different in that blah, blah, blah. I don't have that language, so I, I should, probably shouldn't talk about that too much, but you know where I'm going at. No, I think that's a perfect example, and it really shows how you, uh, in your book, Elevated, provide that language for the cannabis user to then start to think about and talk about the high. Um, yeah. And if you, I, what, what I really like to do often at the beginning of interviews is to, when people ask me to go through the whole or a long list of cannabis enhancements um, that people have reported on. And before, before I name some of them, I'd say um, the following, which is also important for my thinking about the cannabis high. Cannabis is uh, like a tool, and if you use it correctly with knowledge and with skills, then you uh, perhaps can experience those enhancement, enhancements. They don't come automatically. Um, if you take a dose that's too high for whatever environment you're in, um, etc., you might... Um, uh, experience the opposite. You might experience panic and fragmentation of your uh, mental skills or mind. Um, so, uh, so this doesn't. This is not automatic, and it's not like everybody experienced that. That who uh, the, uh, the whole list of cannabis enhancements who is uh, using cannabis. But <clears throat> here's a list, um, a short list of what I. Um, what I would collect from a lot of anecdotal evidence uh, from not only people, you know, normal people, but also from writers and uh, poets and artists and philosophers. So one of the most important effects is the hyper-focus of attention. Um, with it, perhaps, comes the intensification of sensory experience. A lot of people uh, who are using cannabis have experienced that, of course, that you taste something or you feel something and it feel it, it the the sensory experiences is, is intensified there is there is a great feeling of awe which is really important um uh because awe is the beginning beginning as aristotle says the beginning of all philosophy suddenly you 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 are at a certain experience and you start wondering start thinking about it start mm. asking questions there is um a meaningful redirection of attention. So very often you attend to different uh, aspects of your experience as, for instance, body language. Uh, when you are talking in a normal state of mind or in a wakeful state of mind, um, uh, you, usually as we are talking now, we're more, uh, we concentrate on um, the content of what I say, what you say. But if we concentrate on body language, suddenly totally different, uh, we are going to have totally different experiences and maybe insights. Um, there is often people describe a greater acuity in perception. So it's not only that sensory experience becomes more intense, but it's uh, it becomes more detailed, which might have also to do with the hyper focus of attention, because if you close your eyes and eat in a, if you go to a rest, dark restaurant and eat um, a meal, 
um, you you hyper focus on your meal. You forget. You don't discuss things anymore. You don't look in the environment. You don't listen to music. You hyper focus on the experience of your meal, and so you have a greater acuity in perception. Suddenly, you you um, you can taste aspects, or you can taste things uh, that you've never tasted before in a meal. Um, and that, I think, happens with cannabis a lot. You have synesthetic experiences, with it, which is an interesting phenomenon, usually more described for substances like LSD, but that can also happen with cannabis, which I think is, a, is an important effect. Um, so uh, synesthetic experience, as in you are listening to a guitar solo and you can uh, you, you're listening to a Jimi Hendrix solo and you, you see colors uh, associated with sounds, for instance. That would be one synesthetic experience. There's another really interesting um, enhancement, which is the enhanced enhancement of episodic memory retrieval, um, where you feel like, A, you can um, remember um, episodes in your life better and more detailed, <clears throat> B, you don't only remember the events, but you also remember your personality, your reactions, your feelings about it. And C, sometimes you remember things during a high that you wouldn't remember at all. That you for you know that you feel like, oh wow, I that memory came up during this high, and I never had it about a memory about my early childhood or something else. Then you have intensified imagination where you feel like you are better able, you close your eyes and you're better able to visualize uh, something. Very often we tend to think that imagination is um, only images, as the word says, but it could also be sounds or a tactile imagination. Then you have uh, mind racing. Your minds, your, your thoughts go rapidly. Sometimes you have very rapid streams of associate associative thinking you have a distortion of time perception mostly but not only time seems longer uh, so it's like a slowdown of time perception you have an, an enhanced which could be an it could be an uh, enhancement sometimes you know during a pleasurable experience it's of course something wonderful if you feel like it's taken an eternity for you to dive into fresh water in the summer um uh, then you have the enhanced pattern recognition, enhanced ability of language understanding, what people reported on, and enhanced body perception. The people feel like they perceive parts of their body better. They perceive how the water goes down their cold water goes down their throat, and and how good it is to feel it in the body. Uh, they have a mood mod modulation, so sometimes they go in a more cheerful mood, or they are less anxious. Um, but this is complicated, um, could be antidepressant, could be much different. Uh, and then the, the really complex enhancements I started to be interested in were an enhanced introspective ability, um, an enhanced empathic understanding, enhanced sexual experience, enhanced creativity, uh, an enhanced ability to produce spontaneous insights and uh, with it also um, mental healing and personal growth. So, so I went through a long list of like 2022 enhancements, but I think as we go along, I think uh, a lot of users would be like, oh yeah, I've been there. <laughs> but if, if they have the whole yeah. list, they're like, holy, yeah, you know, um, yeah, this is a long list and this can all happen. 
Yeah, that's what really struck me in reading your work. And then uh, and then enhanced how you go through uh, several of the more complex ones in detail and and really like for example talk about the creative process which leads right. me to uh yeah think more deep deeply about my own creative process and how that works and where i could do better things differently or more efficiently perhaps um it's a really wonderful way to look at all this um yeah creativity i think is um is a really important issue and uh, it was very important for me in this book because this is a new essay to again look at the recent updates on on creativity and uh, to both make uh, scientific progress on the issue uh, to really give an inspiration to scientists to look again at the subject of cannabis and creativity and but also to give practical advice for people and i give you just a little um aspect of that uh, i think very often it's it's unclear we are asking questions that are not really precise like does cannabis enhance creativity do we mean does it enhance creativity as in um during a high uh like short term or when I'm using it for 10 years, will my creative outcome be better? Uh, and what are the conditions under which that could happen? So we have to be a bit more precise about what we're asking. And um, when we look at creativity, I urge people on a very practical level also, but that's also important to scientists, to look at <clears throat> um, various creative activities as different because there's no one single ability of creativity it's it's a whole i mean if you um if you write a poem you are employing completely different um creative abilities than you'd have to if you would play a saxophone solo on stage when you have to keep the timing and you have to produce a rapid flow of ideas and you want to have new uh you know but you want to still be in time with other musicians etc so uh so i i tell people well it, it makes a difference what kind of creative activity we're talking about a, a high might help you personally with a certain dose for playing a solo on stage because you become more creative others will will not be that you know will feel like no my timing is going off um, so you have to find out for yourself also and, and experiment a little bit. Maybe it helps you for writing a book, but it doesn't help you for playing piano um, or being creative uh, on the piano. And also it's important to look at the phases of the um, creative uh, activities. So uh, look at writing again. Maybe you feel like if you are high on cannabis, you can't you can't write well because you have such a rapid flow of ideas that you um if you want to put down sentences and really craft uh, a novel or something you feel like no i'm all, all over the place i'm too um associative in my thinking and it, it doesn't i can't write while i'm high but maybe you can produce in a in a stage before that or in a phase before you actually sit down and write that novel and craft your sentences maybe you can um 
maybe you can generate great ideas, write just down short sentences and later use them while you're crafting your novel. Or you can use it for the editing phase. So there are different phases in creativity. And uh, so you have to find out um, when to use it, uh, when to use cannabis. And, and it might well be that a certain um, dose of cannabis works for the, the editing phase and a higher dose works for um, the idea generation phase. For instance, Salvador Dali uh, set down the painter. Uh, he used um, lucid dreaming he, uh, for uh, to to generate ideas for his paintings, and uh, he would uh, sit down and have something uh, heavy in his hand and would fall asleep. And if it then it would fall down. Uh, because he would open his hand and then he would wake up again. So this was a method he used sitting in a chair to keep himself between dreaming and wakefulness so, so that he could use his dreams. Now, that's a great method. And you could imagine, for instance, you're using a, a strong high to come up with imagery uh, that is strong for painting or with uh, also so a, a melody or something if you're a composer, a music composer. Um, but then you have to have techniques also that you are able to remember those ideas. Um, because otherwise, what's going to happen is something that uh, uh, Charles Baudelaire, the writer, The Flowers of Evil, the author of The Flowers of Evil, warned us. Uh, and he said, he, he put it in a nutshell, it was a really good statement. He said that cannabis can give you with one hand what it takes with the other. And it, it, he says mm. that it, it draws from your willpower. Well, that's probably because they used copious amounts of hashish. I mean, they really, they didn't smoke a joint. They used really hashish marmalade. And then uh, it would increase. So Baudelaire said it would increase your genius, but it would uh, take away your willpower. So what's happening here is that, for instance, if you, as a painter, if you have that how I call it, like to call it deep dive, and you're under a strong high, you generate a great image because your uh, imagination, your capacity for imagination is enhanced during the high. But then you feel like you're too all over the place to paint the image. You fall asleep. The next day you forget about your idea. Then Hashish has given you with one hand what it took with the other. And so there is a very practical um, that, you know, so there are some things you can do um to to uh, avoid that like just keep um keep a notebook write down your idea and uh later take a look at it and the memory will for sure come up but if you don't do that the memory may not come up also you have to change your attitude there's this uh general theme i think through your book that here i'm giving you some frameworks to think about this but it's about finding out for yourself and self-experimenting to see what works for you. Would you say yes. that's accurate? Yeah. Yes. Um, and um, Elevated um, is, is more about the intellectual and scientific background. Um, so it's less practical than The Art of the High. Um, the Art of the High, the book that uh, I uh, published in 2021, is more... Uh, an attempt to really give a very minimal instruction for people uh, where to empower them also to sell, to experiment with cannabis based on my knowledge. And I think it's important 
uh, that's an important notion to empower people because we've gone from an age of um, of the disinformation campaigns of a prohibition to an age of oversimplified and exaggerated marketing claims of cannabis producers who are telling you you need a 70% sativa and then you're going to become creative and that's of course bullshit right <laughs> 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 um boy where do we get there's a whole rabbit hole we could go down there but <laughs> yeah um one of the things that that sticks out to me is is um looking at empathy and introspection and insight and enhanced episodic memory episodic memory as a way of uh using cannabis as a therapeutic tool around yeah old trauma or right. whatever it may be you yeah i i remember um uh, lester greenspoon my friend lester greenspoon once said in a conversation to me that if he had another life um uh, he would um practice with cannabis um and uh use it in his uh in use it to uh, therapeutical therapeutically mm. with patients um and i remember from a book it's an interesting story from a book called um marijuana culture uh no sorry high culture marijuana in the lives of americans by william novak um who also uh, collected a lot of great it's a, a book from the 80s he collected a lot of great anecdotes from cannabis and there's one story of a humanist therapist, I think, who said that he would have never gotten high during a treatment, uh, having a patient. But then one day uh, he got an emergency call from a patient and he talked to her for, for an hour. And after the next week, uh, that patient uh, came to his practice and, and she said, um, <clears throat> I want to pay that hour. And he said, no, you don't have you don't have to pay for that. She said, no, I, I want to, because you were especially perceptive and you could read mm. between the lines and you were much more empathetic. So, um, so I think there is a huge potential for that um, out there. Um, and the whole subject of cannabis and empathy is, is a really interesting one because I predicted when I wrote my first book um, around 2008 that cannabis should help um, people who are on the autistic spectrum. I didn't know that at that time, Lester, I, I had no contact with him until I think, yeah, 2007, eight. I already had contact, but he hadn't told me. Uh, I would only later um, hear that he had already consulted um, mothers of autistic and, and and parents of autistic children that they should try cannabis with incredible results um so there seems to be something fundamentally going on because these children were not only more or had not only less ticks or were less aggressive but they would start socially interacting with their parents they mm. would start having eye contact uh, would mimic behavior as they would have never done it before and there are really very moving stories. I met 
actually parents in Colorado who told me about their son and how much it mattered to him about and, and to his development to take cannabis. And of course, we are there we are in the total center of a taboo. I mean, it's, for a lot of people, this is a this is parents giving an unlicensed drug, a dangerous, deadly drug to um, uh, to their child uh, afflicted with uh, syndrome, you know. So that is for for some people that's of course outrageous. But if you if you listen to the stories, it's really really moving how much cannabis can do not for all but for some autistic children. And um, so I try to come up with a framework uh, to explain uh, why cannabis might help um, autistic children and why cannabis can also enhance empathic understanding for uh, normal, so to say, people or for others um, who are not on the spectrum. And, um, and and this is a very important issue to me because I this was also one of the special um, fields, the fields I specialize in in philosophy where um, there are theories about empathic understanding and how it is uh, different than other forms of understanding. I'm not gonna go into that too much, but <clears throat> But this is, uh, I think, something that scientists should look into really well because the endocannabinoid system uh, might be uh, probably implicated in that. And we, we, if we are looking at the cannabis high and its enhancement of empathic understanding. This might seriously, um, profoundly help us to better understand uh, the neural correlates of and the whole working of empathic understanding itself. In wow. Yeah. Yeah. No so one story here, here's, here's one uh, story that um, I think really illustrates the point uh, well. Um, a, an NYU student, 20-year-old, contacted me after I published an article on uh, on a blog on cannabis and empathic understanding. And um, he totally agreed with what I said. And he said uh, that he was, he's, he came from, I think he's, he's a Saudi Arabian student and he never told me really what he thought was, what his trauma was, but he said he was traumatized in his childhood uh, to some degree. Um, and I had a long conversation because he contacted me and said he needs to talk to me. And I, I talked to him for an hour. And he said that he, until he was 16, he felt like other people don't exist. So he expressed what in philosophy you would call uh, solipsism, the position of solipsism that you say only I exist and everybody else is an illusion or a dream. Or And he literally said, uh, I just read the email again, he, he stated that he felt like other people are an extension of himself. So he, he hmm. felt like other people are not really there and he couldn't take their point of view until he um smoked a joint when he was 16 and um and then he for the first time in his life he felt like there are other people and i i i now feel like how my um mom or how my friend felt when i did this or that and how he responded and what what his feelings must have been so he was able to put himself in the shoes of others 
And he, he contacted me also because he said after that experience, he didn't have cannabis for 10 days or so. And then this basic feeling waned, went away. And, and uh, he said that after 10 days or so, he still knew that other people were out there theoretically, but he didn't have the feeling anymore. He went back to that feeling. So, so he asked me what should he do and should he consume cannabis on a daily basis, etc. Or, or what would he do? That's uh, another story. But, um, but I think there's something really fundamental going on. And the, the endocannabinoid system might be implicated and m- might uh, be the foundation of the basic connection we have and the feeling that we are connected to other people and our ability to understand and put ourselves in the moccasins as as Dean and say to other people in uh in the moccasins of other people mm. it's a powerful implication right there yeah. Uh, yeah do you see cannabis as a psychedelic then would you categorize it that way <clears throat> it's a slippery question maybe that is a slippery and, and a long question because that would get us into um, talking about the categories of psychoactive substances we have and how much they make sense and how much they are actually, they are really um, telling us about their nature and the distinctions we make. What I'd like to say is that a cannabis can cause uh, mental states that would be in in the where you 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 have. Uh, really trips um so on a strong dose of cannabis you experience something like or you can experience something like a visual trip um so it is um to some degree it can be like a psychedelic and it can be mind manifesting in the sense that it helps you to understand your past better i have a feeling that um in if you look at the new renaissance also of uh, the which you see now in the concerning psychedelic substances, uh, the research that cannabis is still considered uh, as the dumb little brother, so to say, or the retarded little brother of the psychedelics, because um, there is a this dazed and confused reputation that is still there among also people who should know better maybe or who who are using psychedelics and that is that also has to do with the prohibition i think because cannabis in the last decades because we didn't have access to information because of the way cannabis was produced and bred um it had to go indoor because of the prohibition people looked for um they didn't want to generate a really functional great high but they um they tried to produce shorter plants because they would um so the interbreeding of sativas with indicas so they they could be produced better indoors and the outcome was first that a lot of the cannabis that um that appeared on the black market was more sedative was more on the body was more um kind of especially if it wasn't treated well and if you would uh you know, if the production chain wasn't great and it would degrade a little, uh, it would fragment your mind, so to say. And so you'd have those um, notorious loss. Um, um, you're, you would lose the thread during the conversation. And uh, for a lot of people, I think 
um, that was what they wanted after a while. People were looking for cannabis to to stop thinking, to stop uh, thinking clearly, because you you could then get go away from your stress. You would have that hyper focus on on your immediate uh, present, which can be a good thing, but then you would also be too fragmented to think about complicated things. And so that would relieve all the stress that you have from, you know, wherever. And then I think the black market catered a lot to people who looked for the days, I call this the happily days and confused experience. So you're, you are in a euphoric state, but it's also a state that is not very functional, cognitively speaking, but that was exactly what a lot of people were looking for, because if you're functional, then sometimes you you are confronted with uh, some uh, facts that might not be that easy to digest. Mm. So, um, so I think um, we should... Um, I do not want to go too much into the academic question whether we should categorize uh, cannabis as a psychedelic. I think we should we should see um, the um, idiosyncrasies. We should see how can we should look at how cannabis works and maybe what the differences between cannabis and uh, LSD and other substances. And we should look at each of them really. Um, we shouldn't just lump them in categories. But we should look at each of the bouquets, so to say, of cognitive and mental effects on the mind and then see if we could come to a better classification. And this is something I looked at closely in the uh, creativity, uh, in the chapter on creativity, where I said, uh, if we want to find out better on how cannabis affects your creativity, we should uh, distinguish between can cannabis have a substantial effect on your creativity and substantial could be that it just in uh like relaxes you a lot but you know then you know uh, a vacation in the tuscany landscape could do maybe the same thing for you could be still substantial that cannabis helps you but it wouldn't be essential as i call it so the, the other question is is there an essential enhancement of some creative like the important creative core creative abilities we have that you find in cannabis that you don't find in a in a tuscany landscape relaxing you and then the third uh, distinction is is there a characteristic effect in cannabis uh, for creativity that distinguishes cannabis from an effect from lsd or other substances on which which of course can also be used for creativity because that is that sounds a bit academic but that's important to a lot of people uh who, who want to uh who, who have to make decisions or want to make decisions between microdosing on lsd or using cannabis for you know producing great ideas in their field of work yeah no i think that's important in general i've seen a lot of the research in psychedelic therapy um what little i know about it is like what psychedelic is best for what situation and uh that seems to be a part of what you're drawing out of the cannabis plan is is how we can apply that to the different situations we're in and our cannabis use yeah one aspect i i would mention here for uh for therapeutical um um purposes would be um the special effect uh, cannabis can have for traumatized patients, I think. Uh, 
we know from research from the end 90s, Beat Lutz and others coming out of Germany, that the endocannabinoid system has uh, a function in the weakening of aversive memories over time. So I I usually explain it this way. If you think of a, a, a man in the Stone Ages hunting, going for hunting in the woods, and he sees a tiger for the first time, and he's like, okay, that's a lot of meat. I'm going to hit that with a stick. And he hits that uh, thing with a stick or that animal, and the tiger, you know, almost kills him, but not quite kills him. What's the best reaction to that? Um, evolutionary speaking. So there are two extreme reactions. Either he's completely traumatized by the event and uh, suffers from PTSD, post-traumatic and uh, stress disorder. And uh, he never goes back to the woods. He's like, he never even leaves his cave again and he starves. Um, or, so that's not a good survival model, or he forgets about the experience and um, the next day he goes back and tries to hit the tiger again, you know. So that's also not a good survival experience because he's probably not going to survive the second uh, um, encounter. Now, the better survival model is probably one who's traumatized for a few days or weeks and is like, okay, I'm, I'm going to think a while about what I've done and what was wrong and maybe not leave my cave for a while until I, you know, have a better plan. But then there is his trauma slowly goes away. He doesn't he doesn't uh, forget about it. He doesn't forget about the tiger. He doesn't forget about that the fact that the tiger is really um, that this striped animal is really dangerous. But his emotional reaction to the environment and to going in the woods is is going down. So he's like able again to leave his cave. And we know now. That's research that's 20 years old. We know that the endocannabinoid system is implicated in that, that the endocannabinoid mm. system plays a role in how our body, so to say, or our mind digests traumatic experiences and weakens them. So mm. this is probably why people who are using cannabis can, uh, that this is acting, that the phytocannabinoids are acting on the system and are weakening or helping them to deal with traumatic experiences. This may be one way that it helps them to uh, deal with traumatic experiences. So I think that cannabis might be especially valuable um, to use for traumatized patients, which doesn't mean that um, uh, psilocybin or LSD might be just as good or maybe even better with the insights people get by uh, going on a trip and having or reliving their experience, etc. But I think it's um, cannabis is something to look into for traumatic experiences, for instance, but that's only one of many points. Yeah, boy, there's a lot I'd love to get into there that uh, as a clinician, I, I get interested in. Um, it seems that when we're faced with uh, shock and trauma, our body gets overwhelmed and we uh, compartmentalize those experiences and we have to later go back and sort of re-experience them uh, in some shape or form. Yeah. And uh, so these different uh, substances allow us to uh, experience those moments a little more fully. 
uh, that that'd be my take on it uh, in brief. I, I, um, I totally agree. I, I read the book by Daniel Siegel. Um, mm. Mindsight, is it? I think it's yes. mine. And uh, I, I think it's an amazing book. And I think this approach, um, you can see how cannabis could help with it because with cannabis, if you're if you're dosing it right, if you're using it correctly, you can have an anxiolytic effect, so you can have a fear-reducing effect, and you can uh, people can go back. Like I said before, you you can go back in your memory. You have a, often a better ability to um, to search through your episodic memories. So, um, and that might be why in in a, a therapeutic setting you can use cannabis to help people go back to their compartmentalized traumatic experience and to to look at it in a in a safer environment of course you have to give them mental skills as well but um but i think it could be a great aid for people to um go back to their um to these episodes um and to see new patterns maybe and to really progress from there so um so i think cannabis has an amazing potential for uh for treatment but we're only now seeing how also in Germany, there's the Mind Foundation founded by um, Henrik Jungabele, who ca contacted me for my book a while ago <clears throat> and wanted to, me to be on the advisory board, but I couldn't, I couldn't join because I was in the medical industry here. Uh, but this is a foundation in Berlin and they have actually, they, they got, I think they they have like 1.8 million from a German health from the German health ministry for a study on psilocybin and uh, anxiety and depression. So so the thing is starting here again, and people are looking into it and and are thinking about how we could approach those therapies. And there's a whole new realm now coming up. So, but I don't see much work uh, in connection with cannabis and therapies. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking, is you hear yeah. a lot about the psychedelics like MDMA, which really isn't a psychedelic, but um, MDMA, um, yeah. psilocybin, and a few ketamine. others, but not, yeah, yeah ketamine's a big one, Yeah, um, which is a, not a psychedelic either, but no, very therapeutic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But certainly, I can't think of, uh, I, I rarely hear, of, if, if at all, about therapeutic applications of cannabis until it came up in your book and i was like whoa lots to yeah, say that's true, yeah um i i haven't read all of, i i only vaguely remember um an essay um uh, but but lester has uh, lester greenspoon wrote about it and um something but you know that's all a long time ago and um uh like i said i think that um, we not only face problems with the the general public, so to say, but also with the community now that's going into the research of psychedelics who consider cannabis as, like I said, the retarded little substance that keeps people dazed and confused. And um, uh, so, um, uh, this was an important field. I mean, I, I knew when I started researching cannabis, I knew that my academic career was over. Um, mm. 
And uh, so I had to, uh, I, I worked as a creative director, as a photographer, as I later worked, uh, I wrote um, essays and I made some money with my books, but that was marginal. And uh, so, so it's a tough spot to be in because even the um, even people who want to push the subject and who are activists, they go like, okay, don't don't scream out about your uh, enhancements because uh, then everybody's like, ah, come on, you, you know, the children and, and you know, you're mm. going to uh, please talk about uh, how much money it can save us. And that's as a, as a civil rights issue and talk about medical cannabis. So in the last years that I worked in the um, medical cannabis industry in, in Germany um, for a big cannabis producer, I, I basically had to shut up. I couldn't, because of advertising laws for cannabis, I couldn't say anything about my work in public. So I had my website up, but that was about it. So wow. so, um, so it still is the toughest. I mean, you can talk now in public about medical cannabis. That was different 10 years ago in Germany when, when my book, uh, the high book made a big splash in 2013. That was still a big, big deal. But now... Uh, in Germany, we had uh, medical cannabis laws coming into place in 2017. That opened the market here. And uh, we had only 1,000 patients back then who had access to cannabis, medical cannabis. Um, and now we have like 100,000 or so. So the market is really getting big. Um, but but I'm in the middle. It, it's still like in the middle of the taboo to say something like the cannabis high has a big potential people that's still something people don't want to hear they're always like come on <laughs> don't mm. go too far. a lot of work to do well hopefully these books that you're putting out will start to change those perceptions is there I do anything... hope so. uh, i i you know ahead. because i put a lot of thinking to uh, i'll keep it short but i put a lot of thinking yeah. into how can i how can i um get this out to the um, to the public and to people so to open their mind and I coming from philosophy you think you need a strong argument and you need you need to pack a lot of information and a, you know a very lot a, a good argument into 20 pages and then have some academic titles and that doesn't work so <clears throat> so for instance I came up with my photography and that was uh, these were insights during a high uh, where I thought about how could I how could I accompany my writing with, or how, how could I use my photography to make a point and to make people look at the whole issue again? <clears throat> mm. And I think my first idea was to take photos of people who are high, the faces, but then I thought that's not, I, you know, that's tough. And then I, um, then I changed uh, my thinking and I turned to, um, turned to the plant and I said, no, people, the, the, the imagery that's out there on the cannabis plant is always this symbol and it's the, the jagged leaves, the, the cannabis leaf. And it's, uh, I need to undermine the whole way people look at cannabis by taking different photography. And that's why I started um, my macro photography where I use backlighting for the photos and um uh, a different techniques technique for macro photography, which basically is an analog of the hyperfocus effect, where I really have sharper imagery and I hyperfocus on the plant and can show with uh, the scientific um, 
look also on the plant. I can show the trichomies where the cannabis built its uh, its cannabinoids and uh, terpenes, and I can talk about the whole sativa indica issue, etc. And um, so, um, so I had to use and generate in the last twenty years. I had to come up with a lot of ideas how to how to be able to at least uh, get a publisher or you know find somebody. And in Germany. It, it it really worked. I made it to the big media outlets in 2013, Spiegel Online, and to the Penthouse magazine and the television and all all kinds with the imagery and with uh, some rhetoric tricks and my uh, political essay that's also in the book now. But um, it was um, it was a, a long journey for for me to go out there and to to be able to understand how I kind of slip under the radar and put something out where people go like, oh, okay, what? That changed my mind. Mm. Beautiful. What? <laughs> <Thanks>. the, yeah. <laughs> what haven't I asked you about that you'd love to talk about today? Well, one thing I'm often doing is I'm I'm talking about the stupid, which is funny. I'm talking about the stupid things that people do while they're high. You want to hear a good story about that? You sure. Like in the last 20 years, um, I've always asked people about the stupid things they've done while they're high, because, um, of course, there's no total enhancement of cognition, no, no matter what you do. Um, you're, you're never going to be in a, in a state that's uh, totally perfect, so to say. If you, if you take LSD or, for instance, if you're sleeping, um, you might have a really enhanced ability to imagine and to see things uh, uh, and use that for painting or, or something else or for movie making. But then, of course, you're not able to direct the car. And uh, it's the same for any other altered state of consciousness. And I, I believe you have many, um, there are many states of consciousness and we're oscillating between them during the day. We have... Um, <clears throat> Uh, uh, we hyper-focus on things, we have orgasms, we have ecstasy, we have trance states, um, and, and these are all in us. These states are in sleep. Sleep is, is a complete trip. So, so this is what we are, basically. But um, generally, you have to, and this is a lesson uh, that I teach in The Art of the High, you have to know when to use which altered state of consciousness in which situation so that you can benefit from it and not that it doesn't become too risky or too dangerous. Um, and I've heard, so I've asked a lot of people about what the dumbest thing uh, was they've done during the high. And one of the best stories is, comes from an Indonesian acquaintance who said that he he got blazing high and we, he went under the shower and he he grabbed the bottle and poured it over his head and wanted to shampoo himself and um and it felt like glue and he couldn't get up the shampoo and so he he looked at the bottle and uh it was shampoo uh and then he he couldn't figure out he was like what the hell is going on he was sticking to his body and until he looked up and he realized that he had forgotten to turn the shower on. <laughs> <laughs> so now, uh, <laughs> this is always my counterpart, my, the, 
the story that I tell to contrast the Carl Sagan story, where Carl Sagan uh, wrote an essay in in um, uh, Leslie Greenspoon's book, uh, Marijuana Reconsidered, which is still uh, hugely an eminent book on cannabis, uh, coming which came out in two thousand, uh, sorry, in uh, nineteen seventy one, and um, uh, it was uh, the essay was called Mister X, I think. Uh, so. Uh, Carl Sagan, who was an avid user of cannabis, uh, used a pseudonym. And uh, he writes how he got high and uh, uh, goes under the shower and he paints Gaussian distribution curves to illustrate some ideas about racism. I don't remember exactly what the what the idea was, but <clears throat> but if you look again at this at the stupid uh, thing that the my Indonesian acquaintance did, um we only know one aspect of that story right so we know that he didn't get it right with um uh seeing that he had forgotten to turn the water on so he didn't direct his attention to the outer world so to say and not even to his sensations of his body really uh why was that maybe he was so absorbed in thought maybe he was thinking about the past or he was thinking about plans what he would do the next day or um, remembering uh, uh, some important event in his life that he was so absorbed that he didn't attend to all the other things. Now, maybe uh, he gener he produced a great episode in his life that was important, could have been important for him later. Um, and I think that's the, that's a really important lesson to learn that um, you you can do a lot of stupid things while you're high. Uh, and um, if you don't know um, how to use it and in which situation to use it, and uh, if, if you don't have the knowledge and the skills, and that's why I'm using as a central metaphor in my book, the surfboard metaphor, mm. uh, that cannabis is like a surfboard. And if you, you know, if you don't know how to use a surfboard, I... I start one of my chapters um, describing how somebody goes out and um, visits Hawaii in the 50s and he sees somebody, a guy on the shore and he gives him a surfboard. He's like, go out in the waves, you're going to have fun. And he just gets smashed on the, he's like, yeah, that seems like a good idea. And he comes back being smashed on the shore um, three times and he goes like, no, that's not a good tool. That's not a good tool to have fun in the waves. <laughs> and of course, we know it's, it, it is a great tool. Surfboard is a great tool but he doesn't know how to use it and he has no no knowledge and no skills and it, it takes a while to acquire those skills. We know that for psychedelics, but for, for cannabis, we often uh, tend to forget that. And, and this is a, a central metaphor. And this also explains why there are many, many stories from people who say, no, it didn't work for my creativity. It didn't work. I, my insights were bullshit. And my, uh, I did a lot of stupid things. Uh, and then, therefore, uh, people say, well, people say this, people say that. So basically, there's nothing to it. But that's not a very intelligent way to look at it, of course, because if you have, if you have, uh, for instance, a society in which surfers are only being told that um, surfing is deadly, they don't hear about, they don't learn about using it, and then um, they go on the boards and most of them get smashed on the beach and you take a poll and you say 97% of those people who use the surfboard didn't have fun with it. How much does that poll tell us about the potential of a surfboard? Right. I love the surfing metaphor for a lot of reasons, but you have to pick the right board for the right conditions. 
Yeah. You have to know how to paddle out. You have to exactly. learn how to catch a wave. And at that point, when you've caught the wave, then you can start to really get into the flow of the wave. Yeah. But, and but only, it takes a lot of effort. Yeah. And I only recently learned from a friend who's a big fan of um, uh, Carlin, George Carlin, sorry. A, a friend of mine reminded me of Carlin, who uh, who said in an interview, and he sent me a clip, and I only saw this like a year ago, who said, where Carlin literally says that um cannabis is like a tool and that is i think that is a very basic metaphor i think carlin might have had that from robert anton wilson actually because um he, uh, he got a lot from wilson uh but i can't really trace it so far i'd have to look at it again but i think this is a very basic metaphor which seems re seems obvious if you spell it out but there are many implications coming out of it where you're like, okay, then we have to study it differently. If if we say it's a tool, we can't just take polls like that. And we have to look at how people who use it, how well they were prepared for it, et cetera, et cetera. And also for studies about creativity, uh, for instance, if you just give people who are not skilled and you use, would usually use people in the scientific environment who are not skilled users, um, then you you come out with results that don't really tell you much about cannabis and creativity or other uh, mental enhancements. So if you take that serious, that metaphor, um, your per the personal approach of people who want to use cannabis for uh, creativity and other mind enhancements will be different and the scientific approach will be different. That's great. I think that's a, an excellent way to wrap this up, that, that your book does a, a great service of, in terms of framing cannabis as a tool and hopefully pushing that idea forward so we can get a little bit more, uh, more and more information out there on the subject and have more intelligent use of cannabis. Sebastian Marincolo, thank you for your time. It was a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for having me, Mike. Excellent questions. You're welcome. That concludes the episode. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you to Sebastian Marincolo for taking the time to chat. Thank you to Richard Ross of Flertas Press for producing the book and this episode. I am your host, Mike Gathers, signing off with love and cheerfulness. Amor et Hilaritas. Thank you.